Hi, I'm Lucille Sherman, a state politics reporter for the News and Observer. For a few years now, the team from the NNO and NC Insider have been recording Domecast. But since it's the start of a new year and a new legislative session in North Carolina's General Assembly, we're trying something new. We'll be unpacking legislation and issues that matter and keeping you updated on what's happening in North Carolina politics. Subscribe to our new podcast, Under the Dome, wherever you get your podcasts. We've heard of people who will take their computer from their home, put it in their car, drive to their office so that they can put it online and drive back. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, this is Under the Dome's Closer Look, where we take a deep dive into what's happening in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Under the Dome. I'm Colin Campbell from the NC Insider and the News and Observer. Our podcast is back from a post-election break, and now we're planning to bring you episodes about two times a week. On Mondays, we'll give you a look ahead at what to expect from the coming week in North Carolina politics. And on Fridays, we'll have an episode that goes in-depth on a key issue facing our state. And that's what we'll do today with the hot topic of rural broadband internet service. Ahead of this year's session, I asked a bunch of the newly elected state lawmakers to name what their top three priorities were for the 2021 session. And nearly all of them, Democrats, Republicans, urban and rural, they all said broadband was one of the top three. Working from home and virtual schooling, of course, has made faster internet service way more essential than ever, but lots of homes and businesses across the state are still facing infuriatingly slow internet speeds as they try to do what needs to be done uh, online. Joining us to talk about the issue and what lawmakers can do about it is Jody Hustis. He's the vice president at ATMC in Brunswick County. ATMC has received several of the state's latest grants to expand broadband service in rural areas in the southwest eastern counties of North Carolina, uh, serving 8,000 new people, if that, uh, and uh, also getting some federal dollars to do some pretty big expansion projects in that area. Uh, thanks, Jody, for joining me. Thank you. But ATMC actually stands for Atlantic Telephone Membership Corporation, which you know doesn't really sound like an internet company. Uh, obviously, been around long before the internet. Tell me a little bit about your company's efforts to expand broadband and why phone cooperatives are in such a good position uh, to help solve the problem in rural North Carolina. Well, ATMC is Atlantic Telephone Membership Corporation. We are one of seven uh, communications cooperatives in North Carolina. Most of us were formed in the uh, the mid-1950s, so we've been around for 60 plus years. We got our start doing telephone in places where uh, the the larger bail companies of the day weren't interested in providing because there wasn't a financial case for it. Uh, Some of us got into the cable television uh, business in the 80s when uh, the same companies weren't interested in providing cable television to uh, these same areas. And then when internet came along, it's the same thing. We've always been the companies who uh, take it upon themselves to go and serve rural areas. Um, Together, all of our companies, we have an organization called Carolina Link, which is uh, North Carolina's Rural Broadband Association. And our goal is to serve the unserved, serve rural areas. And so we we are uh, uniquely positioned to serve rural areas of North Carolina because that's why we were established. We're nonprofits. Uh, 
Uh, when we make a profit, we uh, pay back in terms of capital credits, but we also uh, work to expand into to new areas. So um, we are, uh, rural is what we do. Yeah, so tell me about the, uh, the great grant program and, and sort of the areas that you guys are able to serve through the, the state's additions uh, of dollars. What's sort of the before and after uh, like in these communities as far as what they have access to uh, initially and, and what's in place once a project like this is done? Well, there's a before and after, but there's the between. And right now we're in the between. Uh, the grants that we've applied for, we've applied for seven grants and we've been fortunate enough to win seven grants. Uh, we've applied for three in Columbus County, two in Duplin County, uh, one in the northern part of Brunswick County and two in Robeson County. And, um, you know, it's been an incredible program to be honest with you it has allowed us to make a business case to go into some of these places that are extremely rural a lot of time uh low wage low income places and make a business case to bring internet to these folks that otherwise there wouldn't have been a case to do it uh, what our company does is we do fiber to the home internet uh, you know, there are a number of different ways that broadband can be provided, but it really comes down these days to it's either in the ground or on a pole or it's going to come wireless. And basically any new project that's going to get done is going to get built with fiber or you try to do wireless Internet. We feel, you know, a little biased here, but fiber is the best way because we can put it in and 30, 40 years from now, that same fiber is going to have value is going to be able to be used. So the before and after, uh, we have finished the first. We finished the first of our projects. It was awarded, uh, I think, in August of 2019, once all the, the red tape and everything was done to get the funds where we could start working on it. Uh, was in earnest uh, probably late November, early December of 2019, and then we finished that project up in July of 2020 that passes about 1,200 homes, and already we brought on about 550 of those, uh, enabling those folks to have gigabit broadband. So we sell broadband in speeds of 250 meg, 500 meg gigabit. You're gonna be hard pressed to go anywhere in the United States and get broadband any faster than that. And um, so it's the difference between night and day, really. It's, it's, it opens up online learning. It opens up the ability to work from home. It, it opens up better entertainment options that can save families money. I mean, it, it's incredible. Um, the between is mostly where we are right now. We are working on three of the other grants. Uh, we are about 75% building the second grant that we won in Columbus County and hope to finish that up in the next few weeks. Uh, the Robinson County grant will actually connect from the Columbus County grant, and that'll be another close to 3,000 addresses. Um, so engineering has been underway on that, and the engineering's just about done. We anticipate starting uh, shovel work in the, uh, in the next few weeks, and our goal is to finish that by the end of this year. So um, it 
takes a little while to get started because you can't flip a switch and go bury 400 miles worth of stuff. But once we get going, it tends to go pretty fast. Uh, the state allows 24 months to do these projects and we're trying to complete each one of ours in 12 months from when we start uh, digging to when we finish. And so uh, I think we had said for what we've won so far from the state grants, there'll be about 84, 8,500 addresses that we'll be able to serve once it's done. And really the impact it will make will be higher because in some instances we may go past other areas that we can bring broadband service to as well, or use some of our own funds to edge out from that and get some other communities that are underserved or unserved that might not have been included in the grant because the grant would only cover such such an amount, or certain amount. So the impact that it will make instead of 8,000 addresses, it's probably like 1.2 addresses for every address that's actually funded. You get a sense there's sort of the long-term economic impact on, and particularly now that a lot of uh, jobs have gone remote. Uh, you know, maybe there are people who would love to live in a you know affordable home 30 minutes from the coast where your service area is, and and this would be the the game changer for allowing them to do that and successfully being able to plug into wherever their their jobs may be based. I I don't have a sense of it. I, I know that's the case. I mean, we hear it all the time. When we do our grant work, we start a year to a year and a half in advance trying to find the right places. And we do uh, engineering studies. We send engineers out on site to look and see and make sure that the places aren't served. And then we do a lot of surveys with the people in the communities. And we send folks out there and we have community events and we talk to people and we hear about the hardships that there are. We, we've heard of people who will take their computer from their home, put it in their car, drive to their office so that they can put it online, download software updates, put it back in the car and drive back to their house. Um, we hear of people who have had to turn down jobs because their job requires that they have connectivity at home in case they have to log in and, and do something in the evening. The, educa the educational piece of it, where would we be right now uh, given the pandemic without being connected? This internet, I'm, I'm so grateful to our state and to our state legislator and to the, 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 the federal government for putting more money into this, but COVID has really put a very bright spotlight on the rural broadband problem. The rural broadband problem that a lot of folks are complaining right now didn't happen because of COVID. COVID is just showing how how bad it can be and showing that the need to connect everyone to broadband and affordable broadband is, is really critical at this time. Um, if there is one decent thing that comes out of this entire horrible episode, it's that I think more and more folks are going to be connected on this. It's probably sped up the timeline on providing funds for rural connectivity by a decade at least. Do you sense, I mean, you mentioned adoption rates and, and some of the poverty issues. Has that been a challenge at all? And are, are there places that you'd like to serve, but there are such pockets of poverty that there's just not that many people who can afford even the most inexpensive basic service you're able to offer? There, there are. 
Um, and we've tried to put programs together and educate customers on this. But when you're talking about rural broadband and your rural areas, a lot of times you are talking about uh, some of the some lower income or more poverty stricken areas. I mean, some of the counties where we've applied for funds are when you look at the list of the counties most impacted by poverty in North Carolina, they're on it. And, and it's it's across the state there. The grant funds have been available to tier one counties the first time and then tier one and tier two. They're tier one and tier two for a reason. And so uh, your your financial ability shouldn't impact your ability to to be able to connect right but then again we can't afford to do it for free so that's why this program has has been incredible but what we've done is we've started to implement programs where we educate our customers on the the uh, federal lifeline assistance program which will give nine dollars and ninety cents off for broadband and then our company will match that amount which in effect almost gives twenty dollars off and we have a, a, a 50 by 50 broadband tier that will that that is affordable and when you apply that it, it makes it a lot more affordable and, and i think there's some other federal programs that are uh being tossed about right now that hopefully they come through and, and make it even better broadband electricity's number water electricity broadband those are those are things that are must-haves now it's it's not a cable television isn't important anymore that's a dying business uh telephone has been replaced by wireless that that business is nowhere near what it was but broadband is the most critical link that families have today and when you've got reliable broadband you've got opportunity to do whatever i mean you can go to school uh and get a four-year degree a master's or a doctorate and never have to leave your house from anywhere as long as you're connected you could be in rural columbus county and you could get your doctorate online at stanford that's what broadband does now, looking ahead, I know the legislature is uh, eager to, to put some more funding into the GREAT program. I think the, the last round, they had far more applications than they were actually able to, to provide funding. Are there changes you'd like to see uh, to the program or some of the requirements to allow you to uh, get into more areas that are on your, your company's sort of service area wish list? We, we're excited about the opportunity for more broadband to, I mean, for more funding to be put into this program, because frankly, it needs it. Um, I, I don't have a, a study that tells me uh, for sure, but I believe the last time there were over $100 million worth of applications for $30 million, $28, 30000000 million worth of funding. And, you know, the program was limiting it to one application or one winner per county, and there was a cap at $3 million. North Carolina probably has a billion-dollar broadband need gap, right? And so 15 million for the first two rounds and $30 million for the third, that's all great. And we're all very thankful for it. But, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good start, but that's just what it is. Um, if the state's able to put more money to it, that's great. Um, one of the bigger issues though, is the, the floor 
of what is served and what's unserved. Right now, the the federal programs like the Reconnect program and the Community Connect program that we've won Reconnect grants to uh, in the past uh, 12 months, uh, they all say that broadband is unserved as 10 by one. So if an area's got 10 meg down, one meg up broadband, then it's served. Well, I would venture to challenge anyone watching this podcast, if you've only got 10 meg at your house, you think you have bad internet. The federal uh, standard for broadband now is 25 by three. I would challenge anyone that's only got 25 by three broadband at their home to say that they've got good internet. It's better than nothing, but I think a higher floor is better because what you run into now is the pockets of 10 by one are so small and so sort of spread out that you it, it's very difficult for companies like ours to put together projects that can go and make a good financial case to do the small 10 by one areas. There may be a dozen of them spread throughout a county, but there may be large swaths of the county that are only 25 by three. And so if the, the floor was raised, we could apply for larger areas and make a, a better impact. It would be money better spent because today 10 by one's the prop the is the, the floor and you apply for it, but we'll be turning around and doing the 25 by threes. They're going to need it in a year from now. I mean, we're offering gig service, 500 meg service versus 25 by three. So let's go ahead and fix the problem. Now the problem 10 by one is just as bad as 25 by three. Maybe it needs to be a hundred by something, you know, that's where, real usable broadband today really starts. The other complication with this is that you can't trust any of the data. Um, the way that we have to start looking at it is through the FCC 477 data, which is reported by the internet providers and they look at whole census blocks. So if there's one address or just one address in an entire census block, if that address is just outside of town, and a provider runs internet to it and they provide 25 meg, then that entire block, and there may be 1500 other addresses in that block, they all show that block is being served. So then that block probably isn't eligible for any state or federal funding. That's a problem. The mapping has to get better. And I'm really encouraged by some of the federal stuff that's coming out where they put, I think, $98 million towards trying to put together better mapping. And the state is also doing a better job of trying to focus on more granular mapping. The DIT office has been really good with this. They've had their state broadband survey. We always try to encourage everyone to go and if you don't have internet, go and fill out the survey, take the speed test. So that data can go straight back to DIT. They can plot it out and they can say, these areas in Vance County or Person County or Stokes County or Wilkes County, they don't have internet, right? We know that the data we're getting from people in these counties shows that there's no internet available, even though the data from the federal government says that it is.
Mm-hmm. One of the other policy ideas that seems to surface every session is this idea of local government leasing infrastructure to uh, private providers and, and expanding service that way. I know that's gotten a lot of pushback for some of the bigger telecom companies. Is that something that can be at all helpful to uh, your company's expansion plans, or is that something that's you know not necessarily able to get at the the hardest to reach areas because the infrastructure may not be there to even lease from? So you were saying local governments that have, first off, some of these local governments that these counties that don't have it, they're so rural that the local governments don't have this. I mean, that would be nice in some aspects if the local government agencies had the stuff, but it's very expensive to build. And you're talking about tier one counties. So in practical applications most of the time that doesn't exist and if so it's not a big enough network to really make an impact they may have some sort of at best if there's a ring that might allow you to do five percent of the population but the real cost comes off of that having to connect to that ring and get down the the side streets and to go 15 miles out off of that ring that's where the cost comes in so from a cost saving standpoint i don't think any of these municipal or if it's municipal towns already have internet for the most part there are probably few townships in north carolina that don't have at least one provider with with broadband but when you get into the counties and you're out in the rural areas um, there's not a lot of government-owned fiber that runs through those that would make that big of a, a difference so you know you see that talked about a lot but in reality i don't know that that's that big an asset because these networks don't exist. And then building them is very expensive. Um, you know, and if, if money were going to be put up for these networks to be constructed, I think you do the way that it's being done now, where it's put into the great grant and you let companies like my company or any of the other co-ops in North Carolina or some of the EMCs or some of the for-profit companies utilize that money like we are through the great grant programs and through the reconnect programs to go and build these networks because this is what we do. And um, I think we can do it more efficiently, but what we can't do is we can't afford to go and solve North Carolina's rural broadband problem all on our own, putting up hundred percent of the funds because it's just not financially viable. Even with the the great program and other grant programs that are out there, are there still going to be areas that are just too isolated, too remote to be uh, able to be feasible to get some fiber in the ground for, or is it just a matter of how much the state's willing to to put in to make it work? (laughs) It's definitely with enough money, you can do anything. Um, But do I foresee fiber to every address in North Carolina being the end all be all? No, that's probably not uh gonna happen but what you what i think you could do is see a wired connection be put to 90 percent of north carolina and then when you do that you are closer to those really remote places where you can use other technologies like wireless fixed wireless solutions to to get to those i mean even fixed wireless solutions 
um, they still have to connect back to fiber somewhere in order to get it. You just don't go up and stick a tower in the middle of nowhere and then connect homes. You've got to stick a tower somewhere where it can connect back to fiber so that you can get the broadband signal to those to, to reach those homes. So I think it's a combination of both. And um, uh, but I think, you know, the more fiber you can put in the ground in North Carolina, the better we're going to make the state in the long run. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. That's all the time we've got. Uh, Jody Hustis of ATMC, one of the uh, telecom groups that has uh, gotten a lot of the uh, great grants in the state and is doing a lot of work to uh, connect more of the rural households to high-speed internet. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast this week. I'm Colin Campbell. Thanks so much for everyone for joining us, and we'll be back next week with more state political news. Thanks for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at account.newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and check out our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome. Thanks for listening.